0: If I ask you to list who are some of the most influential people in your life, whose names would you uh, list? Somebody's asked that same question and said, "What faces would show up on your personal Mount Rushmore?" Uh, as you think about maybe some of those people in your life, I'll just share a few of mine. You've heard about my neighbor Mabel Galbraith maybe before. She was a lady who never married, never had children of her own but she adopted some of the local boys who lived around her to be part of her labor force. Uh, my older brother and I were part of that. We helped Mabel mow her yard. There was a time where we mowed the banks and she putted around on the riding lawnmower. and then that magical day came where she handed me the keys to the riding lawnmower. We took care of her lawn for, for many years. There's also uh, one of my teachers, CJ Hunter. He was the music teacher at my school system. I learned piano from him and violin. And then in middle school and high school, I became just somebody who helped him on his personal farm. But also I had a key that he gave me to the high school I attended when I was about 16. Now with that key came lots of access. It came with lots of privileges, but it also came with lots of trust and lots of responsibility. And he poured into my life in ways much more than music. When I was in college, I had two mentors. One was named Rob and the other was named Ernie. These were godly men who were good leaders. They had responsibility on the campus that I was attending college at, and they entrusted to me responsibility and to uh, empower me as a leader, and that was very formative in my life. When I was in seventh grade, our church hired a youth pastor. His name's Dave Dameron. And Dave was a person that I loved spending time with. In fact, he became not just my youth pastor, but my, one of my closest friends and really like a brother to me. And I don't, can't tell you one sermon that Dave Dameron ever preached or lesson he taught at least from a stage somewhere. But when Dave would invite me to go to Walmart to pick up some things for youth group or he would ask me to help out in kids' church or he allowed me to lead youth group, those were things that he developed in me some leadership and and discipleship. And man, I'm forever grateful. But I'll be honest, all those people pale in comparison to the, the two people who reside at the top of my Mount Rushmore and that's my dad and my mom. My dad and mom are humble people, they are godly people, they are generous and loving and they're short. Literally, like my dad is five foot seven. I mean, these are two people I look up to the most, but like I've always had to look down on them since I was probably about 13 years old, All right? These two people are uh, some of the most influential in my life. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at what it looks like to live on mission with our whole lives. If you've been here the last two weeks, hopefully you can dry all that whole life pie and you can think about the aspects of your life where we're challenged to be on mission. We talked last week about being on mission in our work, our paid work, our our volunteer work, our, our work in everyday life. And we heard from some of people's stories about how they're trying to live on mission in their work by doing their work well. By being uh, noticing those people around them and, and meeting the needs of people, but living uh, in, on Christ, in Christ's way as they go about their work. Also discovering how they are part of what God is doing in the world around them to restore all things back to his intended creation purposes, to bring shalom to the places where they've been placed. Well, today, we're going to look at another aspect of our life, and that's our family, how to be on mission in our family. And when I talk about family today, I wanna think of family in three ways. First, our nuclear family. That's our husbands, wives, moms and dads, brothers and sisters kind of family. The second is our spiritual family that makes up you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ and God as our Father. And third, I want us to think for just a brief moment about what we can do to be family to those who do not have family. There are many analogies in the Bible that God uses to describe the relationship that we can have with him and he has with us. There's the analogy of God being a shepherd and we being his sheep. There's the analogy of God being a potter and we being the clay. There's obviously this idea of God being king and we being his subjects. But the most prolific and I think the most endearing analogy that God uses to describe how he relates to us and us to him is this motif of family, that God is our father, that we are his children, and that also makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think it's by discovering that relationship that we can have wisdom for life. We can also have a good pattern to follow as we think about our nuclear families. Today, instead of going through every passage that, that indicates and, and illustrates how we can relate to God in this family direction, or unpacking all of the ways that we should learn how to love each other as part of the family of God, I thought I would do something just a little bit different, probably more uncharacteristic than normal for me. I'd like to be a little more descriptive I, than prescriptive. In fact, I, I'd like to just kind of just open up maybe the the, the tent uh, flaps of my nuclear family, both the the family I grew up and also the family I'm helping lead today, and just maybe indicate some practical ways that we're trying to be a family on mission. I stand before you today grateful and benefited from a family that was on mission. Now, let me be very clear from the beginning. I did not just say a perfect family. I just said a family that tried really hard to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also to love others. And I think if you want a picture of what it looks like to be a a family on mission, whether that's our nuclear families, our spiritual family, or to offer family to someone else, it's really about those two things. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and loving others the way God loves us. It might be helpful to have a little context of the nuclear family I grew up in. My dad was in seminary training to be a pastor when he took a job as a weekend preacher at a small country church in Kentucky. And it was there that he broke the number one cardinal rule of ministry training, don't date someone from the congregation. But when he saw my mom as a senior in high school, him being just a little bit older than her, he fell in love and they got married in 1963. Soon after that, they knew that they had lots of love to give in their hearts and they wanted to add to their family children. And after multiple years of trying to have a child, they finally were told by a doctor that they would biologically never be able to have, conceive, or give birth to a child. And so they knew there were other ways to have children in their family and so they went into the adoption process and it wasn't too much longer after that that a caseworker called my parents and said that they had a baby girl who had just been born and they would like to know if my parents would be their parent her parents and so my sister was added to our family that day her name is rebecca about 18 months later, that same caseworker called my parents again and said, we have a baby boy that needs a set of parents. Would you consider adding a baby boy to your family? They said yes, and my older brother, Mark, was added to our family. About seven years later, my mom got the flu. And when she went to the doctor, and the doctor gave her some news. She was never, ever going to recover from the flu because she was actually pregnant with me. 47 and a half years later, my dad still says they would have been much better off with a flu diagnosis than a pregnancy diagnosis, right? Well, guess what? Eight years later, my mom got the flu again. And that was my little brother, Seth, being added to our family. Now, the way I see it is I'm the miracle and he's the mistake. But that may be me only thinking that way, right? My parents certainly never made us either feel that way. My parents are both followers of Jesus. They've tried really hard in their life to follow the command found in Proverbs 22:6 6 that says for parents to train their children in the way of the Lord. It was not that my dad was a preacher that has such a lasting impact in my life only, though I do see in him a great example to follow of what it looks like to be on mission in our work as pastors. It was actually the way that both my mom and my dad lived their life as people who were trying to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that I have an example to follow of what a family looks like to be on mission. What did that look like? Well, it starts with a sincere desire, and what my parents offered was an authentic example of what it looks like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I never had to wonder where to find my dad in the morning. Every morning when I woke up, I would find my dad downstairs in our basement next to the the canned goods that my mom had had canned from our family garden. And it was there I would find him on his knees with his Bible, praying and reading scripture, not to prepare for his next sermon or some lesson to teach at church, but so that he would continue to nurture and grow in his relationship with God. My dad still is a, a man of God's word and a man of prayer. And his personal spiritual practices nurtured and fostered a relationship with God that's deep and intimate and real. And I think it also produced a harvest of righteousness in his life. My dad's a man of wisdom, a man of integrity. He is humble. He's also a man who exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. And I think his daily spiritual practices have a lot to do with that. He's steadfast and he's consistent. I also have many memories of my mom reading her own Bible, whether that be at the kitchen table or in the recliner in the front room. But other than those two moments, I don't remember our family ever sitting down and having a Bible lesson like on the flannel graph on the couch. Or our family didn't read the Bible together or memorize scripture. The only memory I have of our family actually reading the Bible together was on Christmas morning, every Christmas, before we opened any presents. And yet... The Bible was the center of of a source of authority and and guidance for every aspect of our life. It wasn't just something that sat on on the coffee table. Something else that was significant in my life is that we ate meals together pretty much every day of the week. Five days a week, we had breakfast together as a family, all six of us, sitting around the kitchen table. It was nothing gourmet. It was just like cold cereal. My dad always made this pile of toast. We always had a cup of orange juice. My dad would pray over our day and then we would kind of ready break and head out to work or to school. We also ate most evening meals together. I would say five to six nights a week, we met at that same kitchen table for dinner. Now, sometimes that meant my dad came home early and we ate around 4 p.m. before we had activities at school or he had something for work. It also meant sometimes we waited till the way late hours of the day to eat. That's what my wife found out when she first came to visit our family for the first time. We got there around five or six o'clock. We thought we'd be having dinner. Seven o'clock came, eight o'clock came, nine o'clock came, 10 o'clock came. And then finally around 11, my mom pulled out some food from the refrigerator and we sat down to eat because everyone was now present. I remember many moments around that kitchen table The conversation was real, the prayers were heartfelt, and we just seemed to linger there. You know, we always prayed in our car before a road trip. It was just something that we did, not out of road uh, behavior, but because we trusted God to protect us as we traveled. We also tried to always remember to say thank you and praise God for the safety he provided when we pulled back into home. You know, church participation was always a priority regardless of where we were or what was going on. If we traveled on vacation, we found a place of worship to join in with our brothers and sisters of Christ and to have that fellowship and to be taught and to have a chance to worship. It also meant that nothing came before that priority of worship. None of us kids were ever allowed to work on Sunday when we would miss church we also never put a sports activity before our church participation. Those were just not questions that we asked our parents. Did it feel legalistic? Sure, but our parents were teaching us principles to live by and ways to set up our life. I remember when my older brother got his first job at age 16 and he worked at the local Kroger's and my dad said, make sure that you tell your boss you're not available on Sunday mornings, you'll be at church. Well, you know, that Monday turned into a Wednesday, it turned into a Friday, and yet my brother still hadn't told his boss. And sure enough, he got scheduled for Sunday. And my dad just simply said, either you can tell him or I'll tell him that you're not available on Sunday. You know, my parents were people of principle. They taught us by instruction. We received correction, we were held accountable. They were sincere in their love for Jesus. They weren't perfect, but they were willing to acknowledge that reality and also to seek forgiveness and accountability. When I was five years old, my dad played in the church softball league. And he invited me to go with him to one of his games. And before we left the house, my mom said to dad, Bruce, make sure you keep your eye on Philip. My wife knows how people know me or at least what age they know me from by what they call me. Mostly positive names, but when they call me Philip, she knows that this is somebody who's known me for a long time, probably since I was little. If they call me Phil, it's probably somebody I went to college or after with. So my mom says, Bruce, make sure you keep your eye on Philip. We went to the softball game, and as soon as my dad got and I got out of the car, my dad said these words to me, Philip, don't go down to the creek. Well, as soon as he got occupied in the softball game, what did this five-year-old Philip do? He went straight down to the creek. And I lost all track of time until it got dark, and I heard my dad's voice say, "Philip," I knew I was in trouble. I went right to the car, and before we got in the car, my dad said, have you been at the creek? Of course, I smelled like dead fish. I had mud from head to toe. I was like, no, I've not been at the creek. And he said, get in the car. It was a quiet road road home, about 30 minutes. And when we got back to the house, my dad just said, I need to see you in the bedroom. He spent a few moments talking to my mom in the kitchen. And when he entered the bedroom, he had the family paddle with him. I knew what that meant. So my dad asked me, what happened tonight? And I just fessed up. I, I broke the rules. You told me not to go to the creek and I did. He said, well, because of that, I'm going to spank you to remind you that you're to obey your parents. And so I got down on my knees and my dad spanked me, took me a few moments to recover, I'm sure. And then my dad said to me, sit back down. He said, Philip, you weren't the only person tonight that disobeyed. Before we left for the softball game, your mom said to me to keep my eye on you. I got too preoccupied into the softball game and I, I didn't know where you were. And so I'm gonna hand you the paddle and I want you to spank me so I can remember that I need to fulfill my responsibilities. Now, I'm sure a five-year-old spanking their 35-year-old father didn't inflict much pain, but it taught me a lasting lesson and gave me a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be humble and authentic and sincere. You know, over the course of my life, I watched my dad and mom fast five days straight for my older sister who had just graduated from high school and was headed off to a week of church camp against her own choice. But that week of church camp changed the trajectory of her life. I watched my parents give up a whole month of salary to be a part of a church building program because they felt like that was what God's prompting on their heart was. I watched them move away from a place they called home for 18 years to a, a new town so they could be helping, helpful in planting a church there because They said yes to God. I also watched their faith hold them as they buried my 46-year-old brother who died unexpectedly. It's all those moments where I was able to see what it kind of looked like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength through the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've felt their prayers in the ups and downs of my own life, and I've tried to follow their example in how to have a personal relationship with God. It looks real to me and authentic and sincere. My parents also demonstrated a love for others. From the youngest of ages, I knew my parents were surrounded by people. They they sought out friends in our community, in our church, and also even with strangers. I remember riding fearfully in the backseat of my family car as my dad picked up hitchhiker after hitchhiker along the way. I'm not recommending that necessarily in our day of age, but it was a powerful example of just a tangible way to love others the way God loves us. I also remember the hospitality of my parents. I remember getting booted out of my bed many a time while my mom and dad entertained overnight house guests. Whether that was somebody who needed a place to stay, a family that was going through a hard time, or maybe missionaries from around the world. They still continued to do that even after one couple who stayed with us called back the night after they left, letting us know that they had lights. They knew that before they moved in and they knew that afterwards. I've never seen my mom clean our house like she did after hearing that news, right? My mom uh, also, her work was being a cake decorator. She baked and decorated birthday cakes, wedding cakes. It was her work, and I watched her do that to the best of her ability. I also watched her use that as an expression of her love for others and to be uh, just on mission in the work that she had. You know, they loved deep, even when people didn't, Return the favor, when they were unkind or cruel, even attacking. I mean, they worked at a church most of their entire life, and it's not always easy easy navigating people's opinions or their criticisms, even attacks. But they never let that distract them from loving the way that Jesus loves by turning the other cheek or just keeping their eyes focused on him. I saw my parents serve in our community, at our schools, even in our neighborhood, they were patient with unannounced visitors. It used to drive me crazy as a kid. We'd be sitting, having dinner, the doorbell would ring, and, and there would be a couple who would walk in, seeking counsel from my mom and dad, and that usually went on forever and ever. I remember not just one, but more than enough Christmas eves where, where that would happen, and we were just trying to have some special time as a family to be interrupted. When my parents honored God and honored our family, they also always had time to love and to serve others. My mom and dad taught me what it means to love each other through good and bad times, to be sacrificial and unconditional in the ways that they love their children, and to show God's love in tangible ways to anyone and everyone. Mom and dad, if you're watching this tonight, I just want to once again say thank you. Thank you for being the real deal. Thank you for influencing my life the way you have. The benefit of being raised in a family that is on mission like this is that it provides you a really good example of what it looks like when you start your own family. I knew I wanted to be the kind of husband and father my dad was when I became that age. And I also wanted to find a godly wife who would parent our kids with me. And I'm so glad that God gave me Christy. We became a family when we married on December 17th, 1994. And I say that deliberately because most people say, we wanna start a family when they think about having kids. But I really believe that God starts a family when he makes husband and wife come together, just like he did there in the garden. He said to them what he was doing there is very good. You don't have to be validated as a family just by having children. God blessed Christy and I with a de- with the ability to have children. And just a couple years after we were married, we were able to uh, have our first daughter. We welcomed her into our, our family. Her name is Jenna. And we, like most parents, had no clue what we were doing when we became parents, right? I'm extremely grateful for a series of books like What to Expect When You're Expecting. Those were helpful for a young guy trying to figure out what in the world was going on with his wife's body and all the things that he was about ready to experience. We also benefited from a course that we actually took right here at Crossroads called Growing Kids God's Way. It was very formative for us to understand how to take biblical principles and apply them to raising children. It still has been bearing fruit in our life, even as our kids are older now. We added a son, his name's Cade, that happened in 2000, and then a second daughter in 2003. Her name is Kendall. From the very beginning, Christy and I wanted to honor God in our marriage, in our family, and to, to make him the center point of all that we did. And, and that hasn't been easy. We haven't been perfect at that. Before we had our children, we decided that even though we didn't have a lot of money at that moment, we wanted to be generous toward what God was doing in the world around us. My roommate in college was a a man who had married a Honduran lady. They had moved to Honduras to be missionaries. And from before, uh, right from the very beginning, we began sponsoring them and being part of God's ministry there. And that's continued over the years, even as our family has grown. Ever since we've just tried to be faithful to live on mission with our own family by loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving others. We certainly haven't been perfect, but we've tried hard just to, Let our kids see what it looks like to love God in authentic ways and to love others as well, to be on mission as a family. You know, when our kids were younger, we tried to, Help them have some stability and some structure to their life. And so we, we didn't do demand feeding. We actually scheduled them based on their sleep and, and their feeding. And we think that that provided them a really solid foundation to start life. It also gave us a great opportunity to tell them about God, who is a God of order, a God of structure, a God of rhythm. It benefited us by all three of our kids sleeping through the night by, by age six weeks. That's a real gift to young parents. Some of you know that very well. We also tried to parent our kids according to their unique personality and their uniqueness. And you know, with a child with special needs in our home, that hasn't been optional. We've had to think about his specific needs as we've nurtured and parented him all these years. But it's also true with our two daughters on either side of him. Our oldest, you could threaten her within an inch of her life and she was just not gonna comply. That's just that strong-willed, we see it as a positive leadership trait. We thought God's gonna be able to really use that if she lives long enough, you know what I mean? <laughs> our youngest, you could just kind of give her like a, a furrowed, browed look and she would just kind of melt in tears. We've realized that all three of our kids are unique. They all have unique attributes and, and giftedness. They all have unique needs. And we have asked God to help us to meet each of those uniquely and, and in intangible ways. We've tried hard not to let legalism be what drives us, but really let godly principles be what guides us. And so early on, we tried to be committed, and still are, to teaching our kids the moral reason why. Instead of just making a rule and like getting them to comply, we wanted them to understand why God's word led us to that decision, why that was important for them to follow or obey, not just because our parents said so, but because God's word can be trusted and is true. We did practical things of like giving our kids chores. They, they had allowances, and we encouraged them from a young age to begin using those resources to purchase things that they were necessities in their life. We obviously fed them and provided shelter, but early on, if they wanted clothing to wear that was extra from what they needed, that was their responsibility. They've put gas in their own car. They've had to do those type of things to, to provide for themselves, all the while teaching them that what comes first is honoring God. It's a real rewarding moment to watch your youngest daughter, 18 years old, you know, open up the My Crossroads app and giving her tithe after getting a paycheck from Hobby Lobby or from the respite care that she does. We've always tried to stress that church is a priority, whether you've been in Indianapolis at a band competition till two in the morning the night before, or you're vacationing, or you're whatever is going on in life. That being with God's people. And worshiping together and studying God's word and serving in his church is really not optional. It's, it's a non-negotiable. We've tried to model spiritual rhythms and practices and provide guidance along the way that would help them make this their lifestyle. This past year, my wife and I, for the last several years, have been reading through the Bible together. And this year, we invited all three of our kids to participate. Our oldest is the only one who really said yes to doing this, and so I'm like 310 days later, we're reading through the Bible together. It's opened up great conversation. We also told them there would be a small gift at the end of this experience for anybody who completed it. Not to bribe them, but to reward and affirm positive and godly habits in their life. We've tried to demonstrate God's love in very tangible ways for us, one of the ways we've done that is just by going to the same restaurant over and over and over. We kind of are habitual restaurant visitors. So uh, we love me- Mexican food. And so when we lived in Noblesville, we went to El Palenque and we knew Alex and Lottie and Sala there. They, they were friends. They weren't just people who served at the restaurant. We took them Christmas presents. They were part of our birthday celebrations. This was just us doing life with them, hoping that they would see something different in us than the other people who walked in the restaurant. You know, there's lots of great Mexican restaurants here in Evansville, we've kinda of taken a liking to Jalisco and Newburgh, it's near our family, and we're developing the same kind of relationship there. Hopefully it's life-giving and fruit-bearing on a spiritual level to so those we come in contact there. We've also tried to remind our kids to, when they make a mistake, to not just say sorry, but to express apology, like, Will you forgive me for, and they have to be specific about what they did to maybe harm or injure or offend their sibling or another person. We've also tried to expose our kids to opportunities to serve God. We've taken them on mission trips. All five of us went to Africa, not because it was a cool sightseeing experience, but we wanted their eyes to be open to what God's doing in the world around them. And so our daughters have now returned on their own to various places to serve God. We see that bearing fruit in their life. We see them engaging in what the world is, what God is doing in the world around us. And we couldn't ask for anything more as parents. You know, when it starts to, to bear fruit in their own lives, it's very rewarding. And you know, there have been more uh, challenges than successes at times. But it's awesome to see your son express himself in worship. It's just unabashed. Awesome to see your, uh, your teenage daughter serving in the preschool. And also we had a moment with our oldest daughter when she headed off to college. She had chosen an institution not far too from our home in Indianapolis. And we dropped her off, moved her in on a Saturday and she had some welcome week experiences. And then on Wednesday, her first day of classes and Christy reached out to her, how was your first day of class? She said, it was great, but I don't think I'll stay here for the rest of my college experience. And a mom's instinct just said, you know, what happened to you? We thought something awful had happened. She said, nothing happened. I just don't know that this is the type of place I wanna be. And we asked her a little bit more about that. And there was just some lewd activity that happened during welcome week. There was just some encouragement to do things that, you know, she knew better. And she just didn't know that she wanted to be in that environment for the rest of her college experience. And so seven days later, I picked all that stuff back up that we had moved into our dorm room. And we drove it back to our garage where we were living. On the way, we stopped at a Starbucks. And I just said, you know, Jenna, like what's kind of going on in your mind right now? And she said, dad, I've made a lot of decisions based on you and mom's faith. But this decision I'm making today is because of what I believe. I said to her, I've never been more proud of you in my life I wanna thank you, I told her, for the economic side of this because the institution she was going to, we had already made two financial payments toward that institution. The institution she ended up going to, those two payments paid for her entire year. So economically, it was an awesome arrangement. But I said to her that day, I want you to know, Jenna, I would have paid double what it was costing you to go to X for you to live out a decision like this. Just some of those moments where you see a glimpse of maybe, maybe it's happening. And like I said, uh, there've been lots of challenges along the way. I would be remiss if I didn't say that Christy deserves a lot more of the credit for the way that our family has turned out. If you have watched my big fat Greek wedding, you remember that line the mom or the wife says, you know, the man is the head of the Greek family and the woman is the neck. And I think our family probably reflects that. You know, my experience of my nuclear family and the family we're trying to create as husband and wife, mom and dad, and family, it's not perfect. I've said that over and over. We're trying really hard just to live on mission by loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving others well. You know, friends, like sometimes it's messy. And I know that not everybody has been blessed to have the same type of family experience that I have or that I'm trying to nurture. And that's where the spiritual family can be so important because I think that if we respond to God as our heavenly father in the way that scripture teaches us, if we treat each other the way that the Bible teaches us to do, we can have that a family experience, not necessarily biologically, but certainly what connects us maybe in an even deeper way by who our savior is, Jesus Christ. That part of our spiritual family is there to help us understand what family really can be and should be. I'll be honest, growing up, I probably had closer relationships with people from my spiritual family as grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins than I have my own biological or extended family. And we can be that for each other. We actually need that from each other. The second expression of living and loving like Jesus from the roadmap, this being with others, is not just a pipe dream or something we thought was sweet and cool. It's actually something we find biblical, that we need each other, and that our spiritual formation is really going to be halted or, or thwarted if we don't have each other as we try to become more like Jesus. You know, COVID has had two things happen at the same time impacting our relationships. I've never heard more than than the past 22 months about families saying, we've never spent more time together than in this past several months. You know, like stay-at-home orders, will do that for you, right? Working from home or learning from home will kind of force that upon you. Quarantine doesn't have a lot of options, right? But parents have commented, even families have commented how much more time they've been able to spend together. And at the same time, COVID has impacted some of the relationships in our spiritual family. We've never been more isolated or disengaged than maybe this time ever in history. I just want to say, like, if you haven't yet engaged to what God is doing here in this congregation again after COVID or or here at the end of COVID, hopefully, then you're missing something. We need you and you need us. You know, as we try to live in this spiritual family together as God, is our Father, as brothers and sisters in Christ. When we're on mission, what we can do is offer family to those who are hurting, the broken in our community, the forgotten, the oppressed, even the abandoned. Those who don't have family become an opportunity for us to express our sincere love for God and others in a very tangible way. We can be family to them. I want you to see a picture of what that can look like. Check out this video right now.
1: I came from a divorced family. Uh, My parents got divorced when I was three. So just a lot of um, hard times and and hard childhood, kind of being caught in the middle of parents uh, growing up and kind of living in chaos. So I kind of understand where some kids are coming from when they come into my home. I have always been around kids my whole life, uh, babysitting them, working with them at church, and always wanted to continue working with kids when I got older and always have had that desire in my heart to want to be a mom. And um, since it didn't happen kind of the way normally it happens by getting married, kind of exploring like different um, options for that. And then I had a conversation with uh, my really good friends, Amaris and Greg, and they were starting the process of becoming foster parents and kind of went alongside them as they were getting their license. And I actually got to be there when they got their first um, foster child, Mason. So that was a really cool experience to see that happen and just walking through the past three years that they've had Mason. But the timing wasn't right for me to become a foster parent. My life was kind of just really busy. I was kind of transitioning um, here at church to another job and kind of had to do two jobs at one time. So I kind of was like, probably not the best time to become a foster parent and kind of knew that maybe in a couple years um, the timing would be right. So two years passed, and I was having a conversation um, with Amaris, and she was talking to me how um, they just needed a lot more foster parents, and we were just kind of talking about it. And I just kind of, I think it was God and me just kind of saying, like, okay, I think I can do it now. My life has kind of slowed down. I'm in my new position here at church. Life's not as crazy, and I think that I can do that. So I made sure I got all the paperwork done, did all the trainings, first aid, CPR. Um, I started getting my house together, kind of getting rid of stuff, organizing things, making my foster room, which is really fun um, to do. So then, God placed a baby girl with me in June. She was 10 days old. Um, I got licensed on a Monday, and on that Thursday, I got a call. I was super excited. I remember calling Amaris right away and saying, "Oh my goodness, I'm going to get a 10-day-old baby girl!" Thankfully, I didn't have to do it alone. I have great family and friends who came and supported me right when I said that I wanted to become a foster parent. And I have a great work family here at church that came alongside me, um, helped me with whatever I needed, and. And also my friends are super sweet and they threw me a shower at the beginning of August to kind of help me get stuff for um, the baby I had at the time and for future children. And so it was just really cool um, to kind of be spoiled and loved on like that. When it came time to give up baby girl, um, a lot of people were asking me, are you okay, are you okay? And I was, I kept saying, I'm okay, I'm okay. But sometimes I wasn't and it's okay. It's okay to be sad, it's okay to cry. Um, Foster care just stinks sometimes. But at the end of the day, God is still in control and he's still in control of my story and whatever child that I have. Now I have my second placement, a little baby boy, and so it's been awesome to still see the community with my family, my friends, and my church family like come alongside of me with baby boy. I love how people um, have just embraced both placements that I've had and want to love on them, spoil them. Baby boy needed to come to me at the right time, and I feel like he, his growing and he's just perfect. And I feel like if he stays with me or leaves again, I just have to trust in God that he's in control. I'm not, which I'm a huge control freak. (laughs) And I want to control every situation, but I can't. And I'm learning, especially in foster care, you really have to give it to the Lord. I am doing my best to provide a safe and stable home for these children uh, in the midst of chaos. And I am not a perfect person. I mess up every day. And to be a foster parent, you do not have to be perfect. Um, You're gonna have good days and bad days, um, but that's okay. (laughs) And um, God is always with you and He's always with me every day. I take foster parenting day by day, because it can change every single day. And um, God will bring the right people at the right time to help you. And even if you don't want to become a foster parent, if you're quite not at that step, there are so many different ways that you can be a part of a foster parent's life. All you have to do is open your heart, open your home, and trust in God, and He will take care of the rest.
0: I love Allison's heart, and that she's taking care of lots of kids around this place and uh, just love to see how God's working in her life. Here's what we know about family. They, all, they come in all shapes and sizes, right? Uh, family's not easy. It's messy. There's no perfect family. What does it look like for us in our nuclear family or our spiritual family or to be a family for those who don't have a family? What does it look like to be on mission? You know, I was just drawn to what God revealed to his people in the Old Testament uh, through Moses. He had just given all the laws and requirements, the the Ten Commandments. He was establishing a family, a community of people, and relating to God and, and him with them. And he had Moses write these words. He says this in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your strength, These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, being a family on mission requires a choice. It requires intentionality. It requires declaring what is the central and most important part of your life how to be on mission with him is centering everything about life on him and allowing that to take place not just in one decision on one great moment of your life, but really every day. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you're focused on is revolving around him. He's the central part of your life. That's what lasers your life into looking like his son, Jesus. Living and loving like Jesus is possible when we put Jesus at the center of our life. And everything else takes its place from him. I think this happens best in our everyday lives. What we talk about, what we do as a family is the way that we live the things and the words and actions. We live in love like Jesus and that allows us to be on mission with God in our nuclear family, in our spiritual family, and even for those who don't have family. So I'd encourage you, to develop some spiritual rhythms that help you develop an intimate relationship with God that lives out this loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Spend meaningful time together as a family, whether that's your nuclear family as well as your spiritual family. And notice the needs around you. Be a tangible expression of God's love in the lives of others. That's what it looks like to live on mission in our family. To close today, I'd just like to ask you a question. Would your name show up on a list of people most influential in someone else's life? I sure hope so. If you're a parent or a caregiver of someone in your home right now, you're the primary caregiver, would you just stand up right now? Just as a church, I want us to pray together for you. So would you pray with me right now? God, this uh, family thing is not always easy. God, you have demonstrated what it looks like to be a godly parent. You are sacrificial, you're wise, you are patient, you see the good in us, you work for that good in us. God, you have demonstrated what it looks like to be play out that role as a parent really well. And so for those of us who've been able to have children biologically, for those who have adopted children, for those who are providing care, maybe as a grandparent or as an aunt, uncle, or just as a caregiver, God, I ask that you would give us wisdom. You'd give us patience. You'd give us discernment. God, you would give us energy. God, you would give us grace. Pray that God, through us, you would raise up a generation of people who love you, and who will serve you and who will love and serve others. Also, right now, I want to ask that if you are part of the adoption family or foster care, if you are a caseworker, if you are a CASA worker, would you stand up right now? God, I know there are those in this community of faith as well as in this community at large who are working hard to make sure that every person has a family. And God, that work is hard. That work has lots of challenges. God, we need people like those who are standing right now to step in and to offer family in a very tangible way to those who need it the most. And so God, I pray you would give each of these wisdom and courage, uh, resolve. God, I pray that you would do a, a mighty work in their life to offer family someone who needs it the most, Lord, I pray that you would continue to equip people through our church family to step out into places where people need to know your love in very tangible ways. And God, I pray the result of all of this would be a world that's changing around us, where your shalom is being felt in very tangible ways within our nuclear families, in this spiritual family, God, and throughout this community in a deep sense of family. And I pray that ultimately you would be glorified in that. I pray that through Christ's name, amen.